<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Husker football and craft beer podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew and I'm joined by a man who needs no introduction. Are you going to say my name? Uh, no, it says right here you don't need an introduction. It's a figure of speech. It's an idiom for an idiot. Each episode, we will sample beers both local and beyond while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at wannabewalkons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or stream each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, he who shall not be named and I'm I... not Voldemort. On this week's episode, I and him will sample beer from First street brewing company in hastings nebraska we'll share our thoughts on the nebraska fordham game and we will look ahead to the huskers matchup against the buffalo bulls i'm drew this is ridiculous and i'm and this is wannabe walk-ons So what a wonderful way to go into a Labor Day Monday and then go into a short week, but with a Husker win. Drew, how are you feeling about that? Um, we'll get into it. We'll get into how I really feel. I'll take a W though. Yeah. I'm a happy win, to a have a wins. win. A win's a win. It's a win. A win's a win. Yes. And we've got some stuff before we get into talking about beer and that win itself and previewing Buffalo. Uh, we want to talk first about the red carpet experience that was announced. So Drew's going to talk us through that just a little bit, and then we're going to share our thoughts. Yeah, so uh, a group of boosters purchased thousands of tickets for economically underserved and at-risk children across Nebraska uh, through a new program called the Red Carpet Experience. The idea was brought to life by Dr. Lawrence Chatters, Nebraska's newly appointed Senior Associate Athletic Director for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. The program gave children in the 8th grade or younger, along with their parents or guardians, the opportunity to attend the Fordham game with lunch provided. Trev Albert spoke to the creation of this program last Tuesday, saying, quote, We have an awful lot of young people who just don't have access to enjoy Husker athletics, particularly Husker football, because the experience is outside of their economic circumstances. Husker boosters buying up tickets to pre preserve the sellout streak has been going on behind the scenes for years. But Alberts wanted to put an end to that practice and see the tickets actually get used. A small group of donors bought the tickets and will rely on the assistance from statewide mentoring organizations to connect children with those tickets. Nothing can cement a lifelong devotion to Nebraska football like your first game at Memorial Stadium. We, we can all speak to that, I think. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, for one, I'm really excited to have a new generation of fans in the stands. And I think this is a great program to 
to get that started and, and, and keep it going. Absolutely. So. Um, I could not agree more with that sentiment that this is an, an incredible program. I love this idea. Like you said in that, these tickets were going to be purchased by some wealth, wealthy booster anyway. So this opportunity is a great way to invest in the future uh, as opposed to focusing in on the past. What I really like about this idea is that this introduces the underserved and at-risk students of the state of Nebraska to an environment of support and celebration on a scale that is difficult to describe, let alone replicate. But there was some negativity around this that was coming from the national media about it being just a, a PR grab or just some sort of way of Nebraska getting goodwill in the media. And I just want to go out on the record, on recording, and say I think that is utter bullshit. <laughs> I agree. I, I, I agree. really do. I think that, yes, there was good PR that came from this. Um, but I think that that good PR is a byproduct of Nebraska doing the right thing, being led by their heart, and really showing what a Trev Alberts-led athletic department is going to look like moving forward, that we're going to do good things through college athletics. And this is the start of that. One of the other things that I don't think people have talked about that I think often gets overlooked is the idea of keeping top-tier talent in the state and by talent, I don't just mean athletics. I mean future business owners, members of the workforce, brilliant minds, artists, future leaders of change. So these students that were able to come to the game, they deserve to feel like they belong at the table just like anyone else. So if the Sea of Red can welcome in Iowa fans, they can welcome in these kids and their families too. I think this is a beautiful thing. I'm so happy Nebraska did this. I'm so proud of this. I hope it keeps moving forward. It's a great way for Nebraska to show what athletics actually means to us that it's a way of building community and that it's not just about a football game yeah and that goes back to why we're doing what we do you know absolutely it's, it's we love this community and, and this is another example of why yeah i just think it's something totally worth celebrating and i'm so happy the university did this and to everyone who is naysaying out in the national i don't think nebraskans are upset by this i think they're genuinely proud and it's nice mm -hmm. to see the sellout streak continue on this front I wouldn't have a problem. I think you could end the sellout streak at 375 and let this be the start of a new streak. Not the sellout streak. Call it the buyout streak. Mm. How do we take the remaining tickets? How do we buy them and how do we apply them to the community? And let that be the Iowa wave. Let that be Nebraska's new streak. Is yeah. How do we give back to our community through this football game? And how can we do that game after game after game? So I think that if this is how the sellout street continues, that's a new tradition worth celebrating. It creates this culture. It keeps people here who we need to have in our communities, these brilliant minds, these athletes, these talented artists, these people are going to be a part of our workforce moving forward. They all need to feel like they're welcome in Nebraska. And what better hug, better inclusion, better warm arms that can be wrapped around them in the sea of red. Yeah, cool. Couldn't say it better myself. So moving on from the red carpet experience, let's talk about the beer we have in front of us, and that is the Back Alley Porter from First Street Brewing Company in Hastings. So let's first learn a little bit about First Street Brewing, and then we'll talk about this beer. First Street Brewing Company in Hastings, Nebraska, is owned and operated by Nathan and Jesse Haft. Nathan doubles as First Street's brewmaster, while Jesse handles distribution, tap room, and operational duties. Here is their story. Nathan began home brewing with a homebrewer's kit while living in Nashville, Tennessee. The idea to open a brewery became more and more of a reality as Nathan's skills as a brewer improved. 
He began entering and winning local brewing competitions in Nashville. In 2012, Nathan and Jesse decided to move to Nebraska to be closer to Jesse's family. The Hafes always said that if they moved back to Nebraska, they would move to Hastings. They specifically cite the town's vibrant creative community as their major draw. As a transplant to Nebraska, Nathan was drawn to the Nebraska way of life where people make and use what they have, stating that it's not necessarily done that way everywhere else. I really liked hearing that when Nathan described that. It's a very satisfying way to be described by an outsider. A few years later in 2015, the perfect location for First Street Brewing, the building they still occupy to this day, went on the market. Nathan and Jesse put together a business plan, and in a few short months, the spot at 119 North St. Joseph in downtown Hastings was theirs. For a year, Nathan and Jesse partnered with local tradespeople to renovate their newly acquired spot, bringing their dream brewery to life. Local contractors carried out the building's renovations while Hastings Equity fabricated the stainless steel work featured throughout the space. In October of 2016, Nathan and Jesse officially opened First Street Brewing Company. The tap room was ready to serve craft beer drinkers and non-craft drinkers alike. Nathan and Jesse focus on non-craft beer drinkers having a positive experience in their tap room through their beer exploration. They start craft novices off with their Queen City Kolsch and begin to play from there based on their guest palate. Nathan and Jesse's focus is on creating an experience that encourages folks to explore other craft breweries across the state. Uh, Nathan's quoted as saying, if they like their experience here, they will then go out to the rest of Nebraska and have that same experience at other breweries. I mean, how can that not align with what we're trying to accomplish here as well, right? Like, yeah, and that's what you that's the impression you get from all these these breweries in this state anyways. They're so oh, yeah. supportive of each other. Oh, yeah. You ask any brewery who helped them as they got off the ground running and they'll cite three, four, five other breweries who lended a piece of advice or sent them some ingredients. So there's another quote from Nathan that I think is worth sharing. Uh, When asked why Hastings, he gave the following response. It was very important to me that we produce this beer in Hastings as part of the downtown. I feel like we have a vibrant community here and this felt like how I could add to that community and enhance it. So I wish more people had that attitude and valued themselves like this. So we all have gifts to give. Sometimes it's beer, sometimes it's a podcast. It's just a matter of finding what those gifts are and how you can share it with the communities you love. Nathan is very particular about the ingredients he uses to brew his beer. He takes into account the terroir and where his hops are grown. The location where ingredients are grown have a huge impact on the final product. If you remember, Drew, Sam from Cosmic Eye spoke to this as well. And if you guys want to learn more, listen to the interview with Sam and Michelle on episode five. They go into detail of talking about how hops changes the flavor, even though it's the same strain just based on where it's grown. Now, Nathan's goal is to eventually use all locally sourced hops, yeast, and malt to make First Street's beer truly the taste of Hastings. If you find yourself in Hastings, Nebraska, or near any liquor stores in central Nebraska, keep an eye out for First Street Brewing's beer. They are heavily focused on providing a special experience for the beer-drinking community and are doing their part to impact the town of Hastings. You can find out more by visiting firststreetbrewing.com. Now, I have two more quotes from Nathan that I want to share with you, Drew, and get your opinion, since you yourself are an avid home brewer, Uh, So let me know if you agree or disagree with these quotes. Okay. Okay. No pressure. This guy is a successful brewer. He uses words like terroir. Yeah. (laughs) No big deal. So his first quote, brewing is 90% janitorial work and 10% actual brewing. True or false? Yes. That's that's like, and that that 90% is probably even on the low end. And that's why I don't do as much brewing as I probably would. It's because it's so much cleaning. And it's yeah. and it's not just cleaning, but it's like paranoid cleaning because you don't want you don't want to fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing that can happen is you don't you don't sanitize stuff, and and you know a few months later you find out about it. Sure. So, yeah. Have you ever had an experience like that where you didn't clean something properly and then 
it just ruined the whole batch? No, and I've actually gotten more lenient with it too. Like I found <laughs> out I was I was overdoing it at the very beginning, and so I've gotten a little more lenient. I've never I've, I've made bad beer definitely, but I don't think it was because because of my lack of cleaning. Now you just take a bottle of um, edible sanitizer and you just pump it full of carbonation. You're like, here's my beer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this is what a seltzer tastes like, right? Yeah. The next quote kind of leans into that paranoia. There's a lot of emotions that occur as you're brewing beer. You're constantly checking and double checking each step of the process, trying to make sure you're taking the best care of the product as you're brewing it. Yeah, because, yeah, it's a long term investment. There's a lot of work and planning that goes into it. And you want to produce a high quality product at the end, not just not just to like accomplish something, but because when you share it with people, which is like the best thing to do with a beer you make, mm-hmm. you want to see that positive reaction. Sure. You want to, you know, you want people to be impressed, but you also want them to enjoy the experience. Yeah, so absolutely. A lot of, there's a lot of pressure there. Uh, yeah. So I agree 100 percent. OK, so Nathan checks out. Yeah, he's he seems pretty legit. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> well, I absolutely love everything I've read about uh, First Street Brewing and how they really are bought into enhancing their culture. Nathan and Jesse feel like they have a gift that they can share, and they chose to share that with a community that they think it enhances that community, makes it a great place. Again, going back to talking about these cultures of inclusion and welcoming people with a big hug, this is their big hug, right? This is how they can bring people in. So the beer we are drinking is called Back Alley Porter. So this is a five and a half ABV. This porter's roasted flavor was born in the brick oven at the Back Alley Bakery. Aided by the bakery's owner, John Hamburger, real name, Nathan used to roast his grains on Sundays, taking advantage of a full week's worth of residual heat. Back Alley Porter incorporates a combination of seven uniquely roasted grains, drawing out flavors of coffee, chocolate, raisin, and stone fruits. Back Alley Porter is described as the perfect beer for you and your bud. Oh, it's perfect that we're sharing one then. It right really here. is. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this beer, Drew? I'm definitely picking up on that coffee and chocolate. One of my favorite things about this style of beer is the amount, like the amount of grain that you find in it and the, vari- the variety would be the better word, the variety of grain, just to create some complexity there. Sure. Also, this guy is carbonated like a cola. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of drinks like one mm-hmm. to me. It's got that like crisp kind of refreshing quality to it. What are you, what are you thinking about it? I really am picking up on a lot of the sweetness a lot of those fruit tones that they're talking about a lot of the raisin the stone fruit some honey and then i get this almost sesame roundness to it that finishes out so i'm really enjoying this kind of going back to that cola has that overall balance where it feels like everything's in place there's a lot of stuff coming at you but it's all very in place yes yeah i agree balance is a good word for it So as we continue to sip on these First Street Brewing Company back alley porters, Drew, let's talk about the win that happened this weekend against Fordham with a score of 52 to 7. What are your thoughts on this game uh, coming out of it? Okay, so the most important thing was the W, right? We got the win. That should be all that matters, right? But it's not because we're fans, and so we're going to pick this thing apart. Otherwise, it'd be a really short episode. Right, Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I guess my so my over okay so my overall thoughts are that first half was was rough yeah to watch and it was one of those halves where you're thinking if this was any other team we would be playing from behind and we all know what happens when Nebraska plays from behind they kind of fall apart offensively sure and so that's a scary thought because you're constantly projecting into the future when you're watching a watching an FCS opponent Mm -hmm. that has me a little worried um i think there's still some bright spots obviously martinez played a clean game we have a running back and marquis step oliver martin sat out this game but samori tori stepped up and had himself a big game i thought austin allen looked really good on a lot of his catches 
there's a lot of positives to take away from it. Hopefully it's stuff that the team builds on moving yeah. forward. My overall thought is actually a credit towards Fordham that I think that Conlon, his coaching is special. Earlier in the week, he talked about win or learn, not win or lose. And Fordham really embodied that. They were constantly playing the entire game. They never got chippy. Nebraska had to earn everything. Their touchdowns didn't come easy. There weren't any huge, huge plays. Fordham did a great job really limiting that. And there were examples of sportsmanship on my second watch that I was able to see nonstop. Nebraska mm-hmm. players going out on the Fordham sideline, Fordham players helping them up, getting them pats on the back during tackles, Nebraska and Fordham players. And some people are against this, some old school guys who will say, no, you don't want to be friends with who you're playing against, but you have to know your competition as well on that front. And I felt like there was sportsmanship that was occurring throughout this entire game. There was positive interactions between Fordham fans and Nebraska fans. It really felt like a great environment, both on the field and in the stadium. And so I just want to give a shout out to the the Fordham fans, the Fordham team, and Conlon's coaching because he really has a team that's bought into his culture. And I just thought overall that was really cool to see. I didn't even honestly. I, I remember seeing them pick some of our guys up off the turf. Yeah, and kind of that kind of crossed my mind, but I just didn't look at it, look at it from that angle. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, good perspective. So let's let's dive into the specifics. We'll start with special teams. How's that sound? Sounds great. Let's start with special teams. Okay. Um, everybody's favorite thing in the world right now. Yeah. So I will say my campaign for Cam Taylor Britt returning punts is officially over. Okay, good. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I was super hyped to see him back there before the season started. And I was willing to overlook the mistake in the Illinois game. That play was weird, right? That was a super awkward bounce that that ball took. But it was rolling on the turf already. And he had time to to get out of the way. Yeah. Give up the yards. Don't give up the ball. Sure. So that was tough. Cam Taylor Britt, still my favorite player. Still love the dude. Yeah. I will still smile like an idiot if I ever meet him. You have met him. It, well, if I, I'm sorry. I will smile like an idiot if I ever meet him again. Yeah. Yeah. But we need somebody else back there. Let him focus on what he does best. Yeah. And what he does best is absolutely destroy anything in the secondary that's coming his way. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with him having to say, okay, I need to focus my attention. We talked about this last week. Mm-hmm. Jack of all trades, master of none. Let him be the best corner he can be. Yeah. Let him be a leader mm-hmm. and step aside and say that maybe this, maybe this is not the right role for me. Without a doubt, he's going to probably be on special teams when he enters the NFL, Yeah, and he will be focused on that full-time. Yeah, We don't need him to be that right now. We have other people on the team who can be that, and it's only a disservice to the entire team and to Cam himself to keep putting him in that situation. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if Oliver Martin being out made a difference. If they would have started him back there, I don't know. So what else were you thinking on special teams? I mean, okay. our kicking game is coming into shape. I think that Illinois game, maybe there were just some hiccups, first game stuff sure. for Connor Culp. And he obviously had a, himself a good game. He was eight for eight on all his kicks. Yeah. So One of the things that I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. nine for nine on touchbacks. So, we're still going strong there. Yeah, absolutely. Nebraska's got their kickoff game figured out. We're just booted through the back of the end zone and let that be all it is. That's all you need. Yeah, and they had a couple of guys. It wasn't just Frankie that was right. kicking it. So special teams to me was an overall win. Although we had the punt fiasco, we also had a blocked field goal. So those things to me cancel out. Punt team was great. They fair caught both punts. We only had to punt twice, which is a pretty damn good feeling that we haven't had in a long time. Right. And then kickoffs were all through the back of the end zone. They were all touchbacks. Those are all really good feelings. You feel like that's maybe coming into shape or they're starting to build some momentum on special teams. I think all in all, it was a great game by the special teams. It's just one of those things that it's so it's gone so far off the rails that it, you want to see something special happen 
to kind of bring you back. I will say we need to take touchbacks when we receive kickoffs because we averaged the 21 and a half yard line on our own because we thought we could run them back. And if you can't get past the 25 against an FCS opponent, start taking touchbacks. Yeah. Put your hands in the air like you do care. Yeah. Just wave and get out of the way. You know, let it go into the end zone. That's fine. Or catch it. Just wave and catch. And if they hit you, it's a penalty. If I caught the ball on a kickoff, I would wave, but it'd be to my mom because I'd be like, mom, I just caught that. So proud. I would. (laughs) Because there's no way in hell I would be able to catch that. Oh, God, no. I'd take the ball to the sternum and it would just like knock the wind out of me. Yeah. I'd be like, I quit. I quit. (laughs) I quit. (laughs) So special teams, we'll we'll cross that off the list. Overall, it was a good game for the special teams. Uh, What do you want to talk about next? Defense or offense? I've got offense on my list next. Okay. So what were your thoughts on offense? Okay. So I broke it up. I've got the good and the bad. Okay. We'll start with the bad. The O-line in that first half. It was not easy to watch. They were letting that that defensive line penetrate them a lot, not not creating a lot of running room for the backs. There were times where guys, like defensive tackles, were getting through untouched. It didn't result in any crazy, you know, blow-up-the-play type plays, but it definitely killed any opportunity to, to rip off some good chunk yardage. Sure. So I thought the O-line was kind of tough, but otherwise... The offense looked good, right? Like they they were hitting big plays. They were hitting wide receivers down the field. They like I said that before, earlier, Marquis Step. They gave him the ball a lot. He broke a hundred yards. That was good to see. And then they eventually got to rotate in some of their backups and their, yeah. their second and third string guys. So. Yeah, looking at that offensive line, any running back that was not Marquis Step was averaging three yards a carry or less. I mean, they were not getting any good push. And I think every yard that Step ran, Step earned. Right, yeah, and they he, were, he's, they were a big, he's a big yeah. guy, and so he's able to do that. I, I feel like when the second string offensive line came in, though, later in the game, they seemed to play with a little bit more fire than the starting offensive line did. They were trying to earn their starting spots back because some of those guys did start against Illinois, mm-hmm. and they felt like they were getting more push, and that could have been a tired defensive line on Fordham's part. That's kind of what I, yeah, that's how I saw this game going. Like, yeah. Fordham just got tired. They played yeah. with intensity, like you said. Like, they never gave up, but they just, I think they just got tired. I will say that, as I started picking apart the game a little bit more in detail on another watch, what I found was that the offensive line did hit their groove a little bit earlier than it appeared, but the tight end and the wide receiver blocking was really lacking. And I feel like that's something where when you have Volkolek back in and Austin Allen gets to go back out and start running some routes, we might see some improvement on that running game because I think Volkolek is a better blocker than Austin Allen might be on the run game. And I think our wide receivers need to practice that a little bit more because a lot of the tackles that were being made that were cutting those runs short were being made by the linebackers. And so when you've got your offensive line getting a hat on a hat, you then need your tight ends, your wide receivers to be making those blocks so that when they get to the second level, you're able to accelerate past that and turn those into five, six, seven yard runs instead of just getting two or three. Yeah. Well, I I saw a lot of offensive linemen trying to get up to that second level, right? Like they would, they would brush off the linemen and, try to hit a linebacker but even then they were missing and so that's frustrating to see well that just that needs to be cleaned up yeah by, by all means there's so much there's so much talent on that line and there's yeah. depth there right like we've we i guess we believe that going into this season i think it's still there i don't think that that was a false belief we just need to see it you know come to fruition in a game there was one play where jurgens in the in the left side of the line slanted left on their blocks and sichterman he rolled out like he kind of switched side. He did a cross, I guess, a cross block with with Benart over on the right, and Benart went up to hit a linebacker, and that it it looked messy. They yeah. let a guy through untouched, and I think Irvin had the ball. 
for that one, and he got two yards. I mean, there was no, there was nothing there, and so it, it like that's their run blocking, but it's not they're not blocking anybody. Sure. So it just looked kind of sloppy. When Steph had the ball for his first series, where he basically ran down the entire field, there was one of those as well where Cam Jurgens got this weird. He got tackled like in the backfield, mm-hmm. and it was just this awkward. Jurgens got tackled, and Steph was had like a hand on his back and was trying to follow the it, block. And that yeah. So there was there was almost some sloppiness in the in the run scheme. Yeah. Because I can't. I mean, were we beat? I mean, was was the D line just beating our guys i don't know if they were beating or if they were trying to they weren't trying to push forward they were trying to shape mm-hmm. like you're mentioning you know push everyone to the left or push everyone to the right as opposed to just push forward and make holes there were times where it looked awkward and they were trying to maybe manipulate the line of scrimmage and it just wasn't successful i still think that we have talent i still think they can figure it out absolutely i do not want to give up hope what do you think about the second stringers coming in did you have any thoughts on on those guys coming through like smothers performance or alante brown or i think once smothers kind of settled in he looked good he had that he had a fumble right that he lost and i I think he's going to learn from that like don't like don't spin try to spin out and and get away from the defender like take your hit and go for it but he looked good running the ball i thought he looked kind of quick once he turned on his jets oh yeah he could move he had two speeds like one where he was rolling out and then Mm -hmm. when he decided to run it was like oh yeah it's like there yeah there it is so that was nice to see from him alante brown has some nice tap shoes oh man dude he could yeah he moved once yeah he he made a few guys miss yeah. On that one catch, and that was fun to watch. Was the catch at the pylon a touchdown? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. It looked like the leg came in. It did. I don't. I honestly, I don't know how it wasn't. But. I get. I get that. You know, they made the call on the field, and it was late in the game, yeah. and who it's against. But it's kind of like, come on, man, that yeah. could go a long way for some confidence on. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure in film study, they're like, that was a. Touchdown. They know, yeah. right? As players, they know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a nice offensive performance from Nebraska. There's still areas to improve upon, but there's a lot to be celebrated in here. The talent that we expected coming into the season is starting to show itself in step into it. We didn't even mention Touré. That he had a great game as well. <laughs> right. What was it? 160 some all purpose yards, 133 of those through the air, and they ran the mm-hmm. option with him. Yes. Oh man. God, that was fun to watch. It was it was a little scary at times because Martinez would do the no look. Oh, I love the he no look. He did it twice. Oh God, do you? I, yeah, I do. I, I love it that it works, but I hate it. Just you're on a oh man, you're up you're up there like a t- on a tightrope. It's scary. Yeah, it is scary. But when it happens and it works. And it's it's a late pitch, and you're just like, oh, he pulled that defender in, yeah. and then he just got rid of that yeah. ball. Oh, it's so pretty. I love hearing Matt Mullen on the call, like, I don't know if he should have done that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he should have. Yeah, he should have. That's the voice inside my head, though. Yeah, yeah just that cautious. It was all in all, it was an excellent game for the offense. I was so happy to see points get put up on the board. Yeah, I was worried going into this we wouldn't be able to hang fifty or more. And so I was glad to see that, especially going into next week and moving forward with some of these teams that are able to put up points. Yes, and definitely after a slow start, like that, the offense could have really come undone. Mm-hmm. It could have lost confidence. Like they probably expected to come out guns blazing and really just move the ball on yeah. this team, and they, it wasn't happening. So it, to see them be able to do that and then get those second stringers in middle of the third quarter and then continue to move the ball with their yeah. with their depth pieces, like I think, yeah, that was that's got to be a confidence builder. Absolutely. So I think the offense, like like I'm trying to wrap this up, but then we find more things yeah, to talk right. about. The offense played well. There's definitely opportunities moving forward, but if you don't have something worth practicing on. What's the point of practicing? You know, your guys aren't going to be engaged come practice time. So I think it's good to have things that you need to continue to work on for Mm -hmm. further success, but also to have these successes that you can build momentum on top of. And I think that's kind of the perfect 
reason to have a game like this is like find your strengths, find what works, find what executes, uh, but also find these areas where even against a lesser opponent in terms of skill, um, which is fucking brain fart. (laughs) We all do it. Yeah. I know where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, just good job off. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the defense. What did you have on uh, on the defensive side of the ball? I was less high on the defense. They didn't create pressure on the quarterback Not like, at, all. at all, and that was that was painful. So they were because they were running a lot of like zone defense in their secondary, and the quarterback was picking them apart. Like wide receivers were finding the holes, and the quarterback was hitting them. And there was one throw late in the second quarter, middle middle of the second quarter, that should have been a touchdown for Fordham. Yeah. That should have put him up fourteen to ten. Yep. And he overthrew him. A better quarterback hits it. Yeah. And then Nebraska's playing from behind. Yeah. And that's this. That's where we're like teetering on the brink. So luckily it broke our way. But that's still, again, looking ahead. If that happens against a team that's not Fordham, if it happens against Buffalo, if Buffalo goes up 14 to 10, like what do we look like then? What does sure. our offense look like? Are we going to continue to run the ball like we did? Or are we going to try to like throw the ball and you know, create turnovers and create a mess for ourselves. So yeah. I was less high on the defense. I know they had so many turnovers, right? They had three interceptions, so that was good to see. Yeah. Fordham moved but the ball, though. A lot, yeah. And, and, yeah, the lack of a pass rush was really concerning. You expected to come in here. Now, Fordham has a big line. Their O-line averages six foot four and over 300 pounds. They're big dudes. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they were just pushing around, you know, 250-pound guys that are playing for a lower FCS team. Fordham's a a halfway decent team. They're expected to win their own league. But yeah, the fact that they weren't able to establish a pass rush was really disconcerting. That's my area of opportunity. I think that sets off the chain reaction. That sets off the dominoes for improving all other areas of the game. The faster you get to a quarterback, the worse decision he makes, the easier it is on your linebackers, the easier it is on your secondary. So that's what I want to see moving forward from Nebraska is improving that I am happy that turnovers happened and that the defense played a clean game. There were no late hits. There were no roughing the passers. There was none of that. But, uh, yeah, we really need to see that pass rush emerge. Yeah. And I think one of the interceptions, it was a really badly thrown ball. Uh Uh-huh. But it was created from pressure. Yep. It was a terrible choice by the quarterback, but he only made that throw because he was under pressure. Yeah. And that's what happens. You get pressure on the quarterback, you create bad decisions. So when Nebraska brought in their second stringers, was there anybody that you enjoyed watching? Absolutely. Let's hear about it. Jordan Riley had a couple of tackles. His name was called a few times. He was getting into the backfield, which was which was nice, getting him late in the game to bring that energy. But I want to give a huge shout out to Ativa Malga Clements, who yeah. came in and he played like a bat out of hell. Man, he was fun to watch. He had three tackles, one and a half for a loss, played like the game was on the line when Nebraska was up by over 40 points. He brought that energy, and I was like, I'm excited for that guy. Like, where is he? Give me more. And you almost wonder if, like, is he teetering on playtime with the ones, or are they continuing to coach him up to where, like, next year he'll be a a featured linebacker when a lot of these super seniors leave? Mm -hmm. Like, where does he fall right now on that depth chart? And the way that he played, it's like, if he's a guy who you're watching in practice and you're like, ah, I just need to see him in a game, it's like, okay, that dude's a gamer. Yeah. If he's a guy where you're like, he's the next man up, it gives you that confidence where if someone were to get injured, where you're like, oh no, linebacker, he could come in and fill that gap because he likes to get back there. He, he reminds me just of the same guy on the team of, of Garrett Nelson, where he just plays 
a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. Goes after the ball, just has a nose for it. I mean, I think when he came in, he made every damn tackle. So that was really fun to watch. So props to him. Shout out to him. Great game. Um, great job. I feel like you're the devil and I'm the angel on Scott Frost's <laughs> shoulders after this game where it's like, we played great. And you're like, yeah, but there's a yeah, lot think, to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so who's your game MVP? Ryan Greenhagen. Yeah? Yeah. The dude had 30 tackles. Yeah. For for Fordham. Yeah. It was him. For us, it was Samori Torre. Okay. Yeah. He popped off for 131 yards. He had he had a few runs for another 30-some. And yeah, he was fun to watch in this game. Yeah. He was the centerpiece of the offense. And it was fun to watch. My MVP is Fordham's bicep coach. <laughs> Those guys right. were yoked. That Greenhagen, his biceps will, yeah. were mad. No, my MVP for Nebraska, though, uh, was Step. And it's because he was working. He was juiced. He was the guy that brought life to the offense and made that offensive line look better than they were playing at the time. He was hitting the hole and accelerating through the blocks that were available to him. He ran hard. He earned his 100 yards. It was just nice to see a back like that who just went downhill, wasn't trying to make cuts, was making guys tackle him. That's that's my MVP for the game. I like it. I'll take it. Yeah. All in all, a nice win to have for Nebraska moving into Buffalo. We ourselves will move into Buffalo as well, but first we are owe ourselves another beer. Let's do it. So, Drew, what are we drinking as the second beer from First Street Brewing Company. All right. So we've got ourselves a Coco Corazon Imperial Stout. This is a 9.9% ABV. It's an imperial chocolate stout inspired by traditional flavors found in Mexican hot chocolate. It's cocoa, ancho chili, cinnamon, and vanilla are subtly present in this big stout made to soften even the darkest of hearts. Yeah. The chili is very present. Yes. The chocolate is definitely there. The bitterness of the chocolate is there. It, yeah, it's like cocoa. It's not like the you know like yeah. the sweet chocolate. Absolutely. These are nitro canned, which require you to rotate them three times, fully rotate them, not just tip them back and forth like Drew did, but actually rotate the can. I did not fully activate mine. I still get the silky, like smooth quality oh, of the very nitro. Very smooth. Which is really, really cool when it's against that spiciness. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's yeah, it's silky like like a hot cocoa. Yeah, it did the spice didn't hit me right away because of how like soft and velvety. I had a good little quarter inch ahead on mine mm -hmm. and it was just really velvety and creamy and then bam, that spice is really kind of kicking the back of my throat. Yeah, it lingers. Uh but it's not interfering with the flavor profile. It's just giving that kind of warmth and kind of that seasoning to the beer. This is a really nice beer to have kind of dark on dark going from a porter into an imperial stout you can still really sense the differences between the two beers whereas the first one was very coffee forward and very fruit forward this really does give those chocolate mouthfeel and the the chili and the, the yeah, spices this, i get a lot of the cinnamon too i don't know if you're picking up on yeah. that but yeah this is good this would be like to me this is like a nice like winter beer something to drink on a cold night yeah you know so it's like it's it's a cold drink but it's warming not to show how the sausage is made, but we're in my unfinished basement right now, which feels a little like winter. <laughs> so this is like the right place to be drinking this, right? Yeah. An unfinished basement. Two dudes just hanging out. <laughs> Surrounded by my children's toys. Yeah, I'm going to slam dunk on that basketball hoop later. <laughs> All right. Before we move on to Buffalo, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. 
As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer industry provides over 4,000 full-time jobs in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small business, something that's important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. True story, my brother travels a lot in western Nebraska and visits some of these breweries um, that we've talked about on the show. Uh-huh. He texted me and he was like, hey, I wish I had a map of Nebraska and all the, the breweries uh-huh. so that when I'm you know traveling about, I could just like pop in on one. And I directed him to nebraska.beer because guess what? They have a map yeah. with all the breweries. Super awesome to have. Um, and it gives you an idea of just kind of like how spread out these breweries are and, and how they kind of like touch every part of Nebraska. Yeah. And if you're ever you know traveling throughout the state, you can just uh, stop in. Shout out to Zatch. Zatch. Brother. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Zatch, for being an avid listener <laughs> and for <laughs> drinking some beer. So let's talk about Buffalo. So for just the facts, the Buffalo Bulls will travel to Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Nebraska Cornhuskers on September 11th. The game will be aired on the Big Ten Network at 2.30 p.m. Nebraska is coached by head coach Scott Frost, who is 1-1 on the 2021 season. And the Buffalo Bulls are led by head coach Maurice Linguist. In his first season, he holds a 1-0 record. All right, Drew, now you can get into it. So let's start with special teams. Did I just take the air out of your balloon? What do you want to start with? No, we can start. We'll start with special teams. The the if you couldn't tell, like for, the Fordham game did not inspire a ton of confidence in, in me you moving yeah. forward. Yeah, but okay. So special teams. Here's what I here's my feelies. Connor Culp's foot is going to win us a game this year. This might be the one. That's my feelies. Okay, so my Ferrellis, he was 7-7 seven seven on his PATs and 1-1 one one on, on a 39-yard field goal. Again, I think that the kicking game is settling in mm-hmm. like we touched on, which is great. We're going to need it if we get into some knockdown drag-out fights. Sure. What's your, what's, your, what's your special team's take? Well, so my special team's take is kind of a positive for Nebraska. It benefits Nebraska. Buffalo didn't punt at all in their opener against Wagner. They scored on every drive and had no need to. But that said, their punters both returned from last year and averaged 38.6 yards per punt while only putting five balls inside the 20-yard line, which is only good for 25% of the time. In contrast, Nebraska last year, just in contrast, Nebraska with a bad special teams last year averaged 40.8 yards per punt and put nine balls inside the 20, good for 29% of the time. So I think Nebraska has an advantage with special teams going into this. Connor Culp is in fine form. Our kickoff game is strong. Buffalo does not have a touchback kicker who puts it through the end zone. So I am looking forward to that aspect of the game. I think they can continue to sharpen that skill uh, going up against Buffalo because that is an area where Buffalo does tend to have a weakness. I'm okay. glad to hear that. Yeah. I did not investigate too hard into to Buffalo's special teams game, so that gives me a little boost. I watched the Buffalo-Wagner game from start to finish. Woof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that I would feel as prepared as possible, uh, and then they never punted. Buffalo's kicker, McNulty, he needs the wind to put the ball through the end zone. Wagner took fair catches the entire game, though. So smart, ne- smart Nebra- team. Yeah, it, it, smart Nebraska team. could learn from what Wagner did. Yeah, take a page out of Wagner's book. Yeah, 
It was about the only thing Wagner did right. <laughs> just one page out of that book. Yeah, just that a sentence. One. Yeah, like it's just a word. Yeah, <laughs> touchback. <laughs> Let's move on to a, another facet of the game. And, and Drew, which one are we going to go to next? Okay, we're going to talk about defense next. And I, I'm, I'm rereading what I'm about to say. And all I, all I know is that I must have like. I don't know why I'm, I'm in a really dark place right now about Nebraska football. Yeah, you okay? I don't know. I don't know what happened to me. I'm normally like so positive. Yeah. And and you know really looking forward to it. And I still am. But what I'm about to say almost seems ridiculous. And that is that Kyle Van Trees I think is going to complete seventy percent of his passes against us. Well, that's par for the course with Van Trees. He's up there, and yeah. he, he completed almost, I think, 90% against Wagner. And again, it's just Wagner. And just for the record, since you since you put yourself out there and said that you watched the whole game, I watched the extended highlights. So, <laughs> you watched 13 yeah, minutes. It was a solid, like, 20, but still. Okay. Yeah, so take it, take it all with a grain of salt. But he was 15 of 19 against Wagner. And again, like, Nebraska is not great at generating pressure against quarterbacks and we see breakdowns in coverage because of that mm-hmm. or i shouldn't say breakdowns in coverage but we see wide receivers finding the holes against us and i think that buffalo sets up very nicely to take advantage of us in that regard especially with the quarterback that makes good decisions that makes more accurate throws than the last one we saw if they're finding those soft spots in our defense and we're not getting after kyle vantries then we could be in for a long day defensively. Yeah. Especially absolutely. when you look at their running game and the way that their runs kind of set up that passing game yeah. and the way that they complement each other. Kyle Ventrese doesn't really miss the mark a whole lot. He's a very sound quarterback. He's a senior. He is very poised in the pocket. He's very comfortable in the pocket. He's very comfortable with even pressure around him. I mean, he doesn't have an issue with that. He's not going to beat you with his legs. He's not mobile at all. No. Which is weird for a spread offense that they're running. Or not weird, but you just don't quite see it as often anymore, maybe. Yeah. He can throw the ball. They've got great running backs back there, so they do the the run-pass option. But he's he doesn't provide that extra little bit right. that Nebraska has to necessarily worry about. That said, Nebraska is notorious for allowing quarterbacks like this to escape and get some yardage that yep. they're not used to getting. You have games. to contain him. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have to put a spy on him. Correct. Yeah, if we can get the pass rush and force him to start making mistakes, I think Buffalo's offense just completely disappears. He's a game manager, but he also puts the ball where it needs to go and and really controls the flow of that game more so than just handing off and making these short passes. He will hit you downfield over the middle. He can throw the long ball. He's accurate. Like you mentioned, he was 15 of 19. Not going to beat you with his legs, but he will keep his eyes downfield. And if Nebraska's linebackers and secondary can cover the receivers well, he'll sometimes force the ball where it shouldn't go. So if if he feels that pressure, he will try and force a pass. Now, he has the skill to get it into a small window, but if more times than not, if we can get him to start doing that, then that's when mistakes happen. That's when you start to wreak havoc. You start to get turnovers and that sort of thing. So the defense is going to have to really try and get a pass rush put together because their wide receivers are going to get open eventually, and he will hit. So what about their run game, Buffalo's run game against Nebraska's defense? How do you feel about that? That Buffalo does what I think we want Nebraska to do. They give the ball to quite a number of guys. Kevin Marks Jr. has the fourth most rushing yards in the school history, and he only has five starts. Yeah. 
he's been a backup for a while, and and, and this year he's going to really come into his own and, and get sure. his chance to shine. This dude could tear it up. And then they, they still have Ron Cook Jr. behind him and then Mike Washington as well. So they've got a complement of guys there that can attack us. And I'm kind of worried about that too. Again, if, if, if we have to worry about the pass game, you know, they can just run the ball on us. They can hit the edges on us. For Nebraska fans who haven't had a chance to see Buffalo play or any of these players that we're talking about, Buffalo's running backs kind of set up similar to Nebraska's where your Kevin Marks Jr. is very similar to your step where he is going to run downhill on you. He's not going to try and make a ton of cuts. He's going to make you wrap him up and bring him down. He will get seven yards when you should have had five. He will get 10 yards when you should have had six. He is a guy that is not easy to bring down. He's big bodied. He's strong. He's downhill. At uh, Ron Cook Jr. is a little bit similar to, to Gabe Urban where he is going to do a little bit more dancing. He's going to try and make the cut. He's smaller than Urban. He's a smaller guy, and he's yeah. quick, and he's shifty, and I think that's sometimes his downfall watching him play is he does like to dance a little too much instead of just trying to hit the hole and get what he can get. But Buffalo's offense is really predicated on taking what the defense gives them, whether it's through the air or on the ground, and that's what concerns me with Janander's defense is that sometimes they do play a little bit off in that zone defense and make you make the play. Well, Buffalo is really good at making the play, so if we're not sure on our tackling or if we're not playing tight on bodies – they could make Nebraska miss, and there could be some opportunities for some short passes that turn into big chunk yards for Buffalo. Yeah. So I want to see Nebraska's defense really play tight, really run with these guys, really show why our strength and conditioning maybe is uh, better than theirs, why ours is one of the best in the country, because we can keep up with them down after down. If we can get a good pass rush and we can stay tight on their receivers and our tackling is sure, that's how I think the defense has a successful day against Buffalo. Yeah. You were starting to speak my language a little bit more there when you talked about them picking us apart on the defense. Well, I'm legit. I'm worried. I'm worried. Yeah, about and I it. think that's okay. Buffalo's a good team. They are, and they they didn't. The thing is, is that they didn't have much drop off. Mo Mo came in and and he he changed things on offense. He had to right to kind of fit what he wants to do. They lost guys on their offensive line that were first-team all-conference type guys, but they they still looked sound. They still had an identity. They played well. They played a clean game, and they still have some really good playmakers at these skill positions that Nebraska has to worry about. And I honestly expected more hiccups. I guess I, I expected them to not necessarily struggle against you know Wagner or anything, but you know just kind of like trying to find their footing or trying to find what they really want to do or maybe you know, linguist was going to try to figure out, you know, I've got these pieces. How do I make them fit with what I want to do? I think that those puzzle pieces lined up for him really well. You don't get to 69 points on accident. Your offense doesn't score that much just because the opponent is bad. Your guys still need to be in the right place. Your offensive line still needs to execute. And so Nebraska's defense just has to be on their game. One of the things that was very telling for me watching the Buffalo Wagner game is that Mo Linguist is out to prove a point. Kyle Van Trees was still throwing the ball, still in the game halfway through the fourth quarter when the Bulls had a 40-some point lead. Is that bad coaching? I don't think so. So you're saying is that bad coaching because could he get injured? Could he make or, a mistake? Yeah, or like are you not going to let your other guys get the reps, get the experience? No, that tells me my guys only have so many practices between now and a team like Nebraska and then the following week. Coastal Carolina, I'm going to give my guys as many reps as possible because we don't expect to go into Memorial Stadium and lose. Damn it. To me, that's good coaching. (laughs) That's, yeah. Damn. Right? Yeah. You cannot take a series off against Buffalo because Buffalo is not going to take a series off against Nebraska. 
I respect that. I respect that kind of intensity. Drew, how are you feeling the other way around Nebraska's offense against Buffalo's defense? Still feeling not great. I just, uh, I can't get out of this dark cloud. I think you should. I think on this front, I think there's some positivity here that it's going to be an offensive game. Yeah, I was, and I thought so originally too. You know, I think Nebraska can still put some stuff together, but the thing that always worries me is if and when they fall behind, it seems to me like they just, they give up on the run game. And and that's when they start making mistakes. And it's not necessarily because they are mistake prone in the passing game, but because something happens where they feel like they have to catch up. Yeah. They they feel the pressure of being behind. They feel the pressure of losing. Do you think the success of Step against Fordham might change that perspective? I hope so. You know, the other the other running backs had some nice runs late in that game too. Ramir Johnson, Ramir Johnson specifically, yeah. yeah. Savion Morrison did, had a nice hit a couple too. of touchdowns. You know, and then Gabe Irvin, he earned a starting role for a reason, yeah. right? Regardless of whether he kept it through that whole game and whether he keeps it moving forward, like there's still talent there. Like there's still a ton of ability. And so I hope they do lean on that running game. And then you can use your passing game. You can use those explosive plays with Tori and Manning and Adrian Martinez's legs to catch defenses off guard. All that said, I I do feel good about this offense because I think we're seeing glimpses of it, guys coming into their own, finding out how they can use Torrey and like how they can use players to their advantage. I think this is going to be the third straight game where we see a 100-yard receiver. I think it's going to be Omar Manning's game. Ooh. I did do I wasn't ready for that. Mm, I did a little research. I got to Yeah. Okay, buckle go ahead. up, buckle up Husker Nation. Three three receivers, 300-yard games. Buffalo in the in last year struggled against big body receivers. I don't want to say struggled, but they ha- they gave up some they gave up some big numbers in games against big body receivers. Guys that are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", 200 and some pounds. I think Manning can have that game. And having Toure out there to draw attention, having Austin Allen out there to draw attention, if Oliver Martin is back, we've got so many we've got so many weapons that any single guy can pop off. And I think Omar Manning, I think this is his game. I love that. For me, when I was watching Buffalo play, they were described as the blue wave, which I thought was very appropriate because they are fast, they're violent, they're swarming, but also like a wave, they're one directional. And I think that's where their weakness comes in. Their defense commits to their first read, and if you can catch them on misdirection, they're going so fast downhill towards what they believe the play call is that it leaves the field wide open. And that's where Wagner got a majority of their yardage. Anything that was telegraphed, Buffalo sniffed that out. Anything that had the slightest bit of motion before the snap or something where there was just a question mark to it, if the decision was made before Buffalo got there, Buffalo had a hard time catching up to that. And so I think that plays really well into what Nebraska likes to do and Adrian Martinez's strengths. If he can make the right reads that you were talking about in the Fordham game, if he's making those reads nine times out of ten, Nine times out of ten, we're going to have a successful play against Buffalo. Yeah. They're a great offense, but I think their defense has some catching up to do. Yeah, and their their defensive coordinator, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he comes from Houston. Um, he plays an aggressive style. He was not very successful uh, statistically there, and so you could see them over committing mm-hmm. a lot just to try to make that big play, and that might burn them here. Yeah. Maybe. You, know, you hope so. Sure. So the power run game plays into Buffalo's strength, but then again, me lovey the option. <laughs> Those types of plays play against their strength. Yeah. Do they have a lot of speed? Did you pick up they on do. that? They do. They're okay. fast. But their change in direction, it's almost like watching a school of fish where mm. their change in direction happens as a unit. You can see where they all realize that we're playing in the wrong direction. They do have good closing speed, 
but they have to get the read right in order for it to be successful for them. As long as Adrian is committing to his decisions and getting the ball out, I think you're going to have success against Buffalo's defense. Okay, let's get into let's get into predictions because I'm starting to feel a little bit better, and I want to I want to hear more good things. Well, now before we reveal our God predictions, damn it. All right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before we reveal our predictions, uh, it's time for this week's sportsman sip. We'd like to raise a glass to our opponent and sample a beer local to their university. This week, we are drinking Magnetic Compass New England IPA from Grim Artisanal Ales in Brooklyn, New York, in honor of the Buffalo Bulls. If Nebraska can't beat Buffalo, this season will be pretty grim. Good one. Magnetic Compass registers at 6.4% ABV and prominently features New Zealand Rocco hops. The beer is described as a unique mix of candied orchard fruit, stone fruit, and tropical aromas with some light, dank elements. So cheers to Grim Artisanal Ales, but more importantly, cheers to the Bulls of Buffalo. Cheers. Cheers. So Drew, I'd ask you what you think about this Grim beer, but you are chomping at the bit to get our predictions out there. So let's go ahead and move into our predictions for the Buffalo game. I will start. Now my too early prediction when we covered these guys before the season started was to have them losing to Nebraska 38-17. to I have changed that a little bit. The spread opened at 11 points. It moved to 14. I think it's back wow. down depending. I know. Okay. Uh, Nebraska is currently sitting at either an 11-point favorite up to a 12.5-point favorite. Here's my read on the game. Taking advantage of their scouting report from the Buffalo-Wagner game, Frost draws up the perfect offensive attack against the Bulls' defensive front. A beautifully scripted first drive results in six points plus one more from a back-and-form Connor Culp. A solid drive from Buffalo stalls in the red zone thanks to a beautiful set of pass breakups by Nebraska's secondary. The Bulls settle for a field goal. The offense is dialed in and settled down, a well-choreographed ballet of power runs and quick passes. Buffalo doesn't even know what hit them as the Huskers eat up clock and double their points on the board. Not once to go away that easy, Coach Mo Linguist and Buffalo answer with a touchdown of their own, and just before half, we have ourselves a ball game in Lincoln, 14-10. At the start of the second half, the Huskers do what many thought impossible. They adjust. Making life much more. <laughs> At the start of the second half, the Huskers do what many thought impossible. They adjust, making life much more difficult for the Bulls and the cunning linguist. Nebraska's run game shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a sneaky. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Nebraska's run game chews clock in the second half and gets the score up to 24-10. Again, not ones to go away. Buffalo charges back and ties the game thanks in part to another untimely turnover from a freshman running back. Adrian takes the field and leads Nebraska to pay dirt. A collective sigh of relief stretches across the state of Nebraska. It's a shaky ending to a game that never felt comfortable, a much-needed win where a loss would have felt like a new Buffalo. And if all that fails, perhaps Buffalo overlooks Nebraska for their Week 3 matchup against Coastal Carolina. Either way, Huskers get the dub 31-24. That was that that at least that gave me some that gave me some joy. <laughs> that gave me some joy. And actually, you know what's funny is like our score predictions ended up being really close together. Really? Yeah. All right. Which, so when you were when you were talking earlier, you started to kind of build me back up. Yeah. Into you know more like yeah maybe you know what my my original prediction was going to be uh, it was at least going to be okay. Um, and the betting odds say the same thing, right? Like. You know, almost two touchdown favorites. Yeah. Maybe we'll be okay. Then you read your prediction. There's some underlying, like, 
darkness to that. Well, so I think Nebraska is going to get out out front, and I don't mm-hmm. think they're ever going to give up the lead. But okay. I think that Buffalo is going to continue to charge back. And so I think it's going to be one of those games where you don't feel good until the game's completely over. Yeah. And I don't think Nebraska does a whole lot to tarnish the good that they've built up against Fordham. But I do think that Buffalo's a good team. And they're going to keep fighting, and you can't count them out until the clock hits zero in the fourth. And so they're not going to stop trying to rip the ball away. They're going to get, you know, a first defensive turnover of the season. I think they're going to do a lot of good things, but I think Nebraska is going to get out front and play their game. And they were able to do that against Fordham, and I think that they can build off that momentum. I still think uh, I still think Buffalo is going to cover. I still think that they're going to be within a touchdown. But I think that Nebraska is going to get the win. Okay, I can accept that. Yeah, that's, and that's, I'm not going to have fun watching this game. <laughs> I'm not going to enjoy myself. We're going to drink a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll, all right, here's my prediction. It's, Wait, before you give your prediction, I want to throw out that your too early prediction. Oh, God. Okay. Was 42 to 20. So you had a 22-point win. I had a big old win. You had a big old win. Because I expected Buffalo to really take a step back. Yeah. And that's not a that's not a knock on them, but like just you you're switching you're changing everything. Yeah. You ridiculously predicted a twenty two point win. I only <laughs> threw out a twenty one point win <laughs> in my two early predictions. All right, I'm well, down to seven. All right, let's hear what you're you have to down. Say. I'm I'm down. This is no. I'm fun. up. I'm oh, up. It's fun. It's I'm fun. up. Oh God. Okay. Nebraska fans have been clamoring for an offense with a clear identity. They've demanded to see multiple running backs shred defenses. A quarterback make smart throws. Tight ends gutting secondaries up the seam. And this week, we finally get what we want. Unfortunately for us, that offense will be wearing blue. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) Buffalo looked more polished and prepared in Maurice Linguist's head coaching debut than Nebraska did in their first two games of the season. Mo Linguist might mean Mo problems for the Scarlet and Cream. At the very least, it should mean Mo realistic expectations for all of us. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, if Nebraska plays a clean game, stays on schedule, and builds an early lead, they should be able to handle the Bulls. If they fall behind, look clunky on offense, or give away points, they will leave the fans wondering how we are supposed to handle this bullshit. But have faith, friends and fans, for we have Marquee Step. The big back will rumble for 90 yards on 25 carries. Not a pretty stat line, but an indication that Nebraska stayed in control of the game and controlled the clock. Omar Manning busts loose for a couple big plays to keep the 100-yard receiver streak alive. Special teams does not turn the ball over for once. And Luke Reimer comes up with a timely strip sack to seal the victory. Nebraska wins this one 28-24. Ooh. It is going to be tight. Yeah. So you and I predict a similar game where it's going to it's not going to be fun. It's not going to it's not going to be enjoyable and I need and I need to just accept a little dose of reality now. Yeah. So that when this game happens, like I can just face it a little easier. Are you going to be watching this game in dad stance where you're just like standing up way too close to the TV, hands on your knees? Yelling. Can yeah. I tell you a story? Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right. So my daughter, who's almost five, we were, we were trying to get her dressed for the game Yeah. this Saturday. And, and I was explaining to her, it's Nebraska. So we're going to wear Nebraska clothes. It's what we do. And she said, oh, isn't it, you know, it's Nebraska playing football today? And I said, yeah. And she goes, do you remember that last time that Nebraska played? She was referring to the Illinois game. Do you remember the last time that Nebraska played and you got really loud and you hurt mom's ears? (laughs) 
And I was like, yeah, you know, I remember, I, I remember some angry, <laughs> some angry moments, right? Yeah. She goes, you know, when I grow up and I become a parent and I love the Huskers as much as you, I'm going to cheer louder than you. <laughs> At a girl. Right. That was such a, after, after, you know, the loss against Illinois and the, the little struggle bus I felt like we rode against Fordham having that moment with her like yeah like next generation is stepping up yeah and i hope we step up against buffalo i hope we have good loud cheers i think we will <laughs> <laughs> what confidence i am confident are you i'm I am. not i'm confident that nebraska is going to go into this game with the right attitude and i think that there's good momentum moving forward you can't expect to improve completely over what happened week zero with the week one game. But if you can see incremental steps, you can feel confident that there's going to be a step taken the next game as opposed to, hey, we won the game so we can take the week off. I still think Buffalo is is a difficult enough opponent based on what we've seen where this might not be an easy game to watch. And I'm trying to... I'm okay with that, though. I'm not okay with... I'm not okay. I'm just... It's hard to accept that. It's hard to accept, like, hey, like we could struggle against Buffalo with a new coach. Hey, we could struggle it, against a team with top 25 talent from just a year ago. Look at it that way, man. Like, Buffalo oh. was a good team last year. The only reason they're probably not ranked the same way that, like, Coastal Carolina's ranked right now is because they don't have the same head coaches last year. But the narrative that they lost a ton of players that everyone went with Leipold, like, I think two players went to Kansas. It's it's not like they lost a ton of their guys. No, that's true. And I'm not yeah, it's not it's it it's honestly it's less to do with Buffalo and more to do with Nebraska. Sure. That's what's hard. But and if if you want to get back to prominence, you've got to start taking care of these teams and you've got to just start winning these games before you can get beyond these games. Right. We have to get back to a level of prominence where these games don't matter, but right now they do. And if these games didn't matter right now, you're just skipping these steps. You're, you're skipping the foundation. And you can't build a house without a foundation. Okay, but I'm of a generation that wants everything and I want it now. Fuck you. <laughs> Instant gratification. Give me what I want. Just fucking give it to me. I just... <laughs> anyway, this is this is devolved. It really has. It is Zach devolved really far away. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Well, at least we both predict Nebraska to beat Buffalo. At least we're both realistic in our predictions. We both expect Buffalo to cover. We both yeah. expect a hard-fought game. Yep. And Buffalo, a year ago, was an AP poll, year-ender, top 25 team. So I think if you beat a Buffalo team with the talent they have against a head coach who's out trying to prove himself and showed in that Wagner game he's not letting his foot off the gas for all 60 minutes, I think you can hang your hat on that going into – an Oklahoma game that's going to be nothing but a challenge. Yeah, and I think I think a win here actually means more now. Yeah, you know, looking at it than it than it did preseason. Yeah, so I think that there's something to say for that. If if Nebraska can pull it out and they can look if they look good doing it, then I think that's meaningful. Perfect. That's a good button. Button it up. All right, before we say goodbye, we just want to take a deep breath, step off of this ledge, um, and we want to give you a, another chance to win our season-long prize package, including a game-used Nebraska football and local brewery swag. 
For this week's entry, email wannabewalkons at gmail.com with who you think will be Nebraska's leading rusher against Buffalo. Remember, only one entry per episode, and you don't have to be correct to win. If you're a new listener or haven't entered for our earlier episodes, you can do so until we give the prize away. Just make sure to include your first and last name in your email entry. All right, that does it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Why am I yelling? All right, that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on First Street Brewing Company at firststreetbrewing.com. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Tune in next week as we sit down and sample beers from Pals Brewing Company in North Platte, Nebraska. Share our thoughts on the Buffalo game and preview the Oklahoma matchup. (sighs) Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.